morning. If you could um, stand with me and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Just be reading verses 15 and 16. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. Father, we thank you for your timing in all things, whether we understand it or not, Lord. We thank you, God, specifically for bringing the Kirkwoods back home to us. As Corey shared his testimony of his time there and the difficulty of the decision that they had to make in coming back, I can testify to say that your timing, bringing them back now, is perfect. I thank you, God, just for all that you have done in their lives. I pray that you shower them with your blessings, that they be reminded daily of your grace, that they would understand what measure of care you have for them. I pray for this body, God. I pray for Cornerstone Community Church, God, as we sit and listen to your word this morning. That you'd help me to speak by the power of your spirit and you'd hide me behind the cross that all glory would go to Jesus himself. We thank you for this privilege of gathering and worshiping together and pray that you're glorified in our remainder, the remainder of time that we have together. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So if you've been uh, following closely through this Hebrews study, we've unpacked a, a whole lot. And, you know, a lot of which has to do with the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, some of what we've discovered about the practices of early Israel and Jewish tradition that may seem like a faraway journey from where we are today. And you likely heard a lot of language around sacrifices. The term sacrifices is sprinkled throughout the book of Hebrews as we've walked along the journey from the Old Testament. And the Old Covenant gave reason to explicitly unpack the significance of certain types of sacrifices. We look back at the tent of meeting or the inner court, the outer court. It gave us these pictures of the sacrifices that were offered, specific sacrifices that were offered that pleased God. We walked through the sacrifices of Cain and Abel, Abraham and Isaac, even the institution of the priesthood and the law of Moses. All of these sacrifices are, are in this entire book and given us specific reason to understand why they were important why they matter for us today. And ultimately, they help us see the significance of Christ's sacrifice. We land on the sacrifice of Christ, whose sacrifice was to end all of these other sacrifices. If you flip back just a couple of chapters and come to Hebrews chapter 10, we read verses 1 through 7. 
For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Christ offers himself as the sacrifice to end all of these temporal sacrifices that could not save. His sacrifice is the one that we rest in. So in light of this, what sacrifices remain that please God? We've eliminated the animal sacrifices. We've eliminated this entire structure of the Ark of the Covenant and coming into the tent of meeting and and dressing a specific way to enter the inner and the outer court. What sacrifices remain? We find answers in this text. Two specific answers that are given here. The sacrifice of praise and the sacrifice of generosity. Now praise has grown to become one of my favorite, favorite topics. It's defined simply as a thank offering, simply a thank offering to his name. Now, before we go any further, just specifically outlining what praise is, its significance, and all those different things, we can't bypass the two most important words in the beginning of this passage, through him, through him. No matter what nuance we use with the topic of praise, understand it must be through him. Now, let me say this to you guys as your brother in Christ. I'm very comfortable talking to you about this because I've spent a lot of time with you over the years, gotten to know a good amount of you. But let me just say this to you. Culturally speaking, I have an understanding of what praise is. I have a specific background, and I could break that down to you. I could play a video for you of what I think praise is. But culturally speaking, I found that many of my white brothers and sisters don't really know what to do with praise. (laughs) Culturally speaking, let me just, I'm your brother. Listen to me. I know you guys. I'm your brother. Now, we had some claps today, which I was very proud of. That was awesome. almost felt something inside of me. But culturally speaking, maybe there's a little bit of a disconnect. Now, I've talked to some of you about this, and sometimes what I hear back from you is that there's this cultural assumption that emotional expressiveness is somehow this loss of dignity and sophistication. Now, whatever happened looking back through your Irish, British, German, Italian roots, 
This concept of emoting did not travel well, specifically as it relates to church. Now, there's other contexts where, I mean, I have some Irish friends who can get down. Some Italian friends who I have seen the full range. But for some reason, church is where that stops. It's really interesting. Now, culturally speaking, before we begin to even unpack all this, let me just say to you, culturally, if, if you are of the, of the Stoic variety, you may be at odds with the Bible. You may be at odds with what you see in Scripture culturally. We're talking about an audience in this text, in a Middle Eastern culture, that openly expressed themselves often. Often, this culture here is not concerned about holding back emotionally. If we're only dealing with the Hebrew people, we have tons of evidence that they were culturally inclined to express themselves emotionally. I mean, listen, they'd literally tear their clothes if they got offended. Now, I don't know what part of the day you tear your clothes, which ruins the rest of your day. But at the end of the day, something was being said that I feel this way. So I'm going to wear it literally on my sleeve. So with this in mind, when the word praise is used, expressive emotion is implied. Now, I also want to make something clear here. Leaping, shouting, weeping, and dancing does not equal charismatic. Please hear me. Those things do not equal charismatic. I'd like to define what charismatic is. And we do that by looking at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11. I'm not going to read that. But when you read those verses with an emphasis on certain kinds of gifts and or charismas, you will not find loud singing, dancing, and loud preaching. You won't find that in those verses. Please trust me. But you will find those concepts, loud singing, dancing, and preaching, throughout the entire Scripture. It's not categorized in, in just specifically in that way. I just want to help us together to be on one accord that that's not just being charismatic. We are created as whole beings, emotional and cognitive. I want to propose to you today that praisers are thinkers. Praisers are not just expressing something that they're mindless about. Praising God is a thinking exercise. There's no false dichotomy between expressing emotionally and losing like whatever mental ability you have to grasp a real concept. You think deeply about who God is. And the fullest forms of praise express the fullness of your humanity. It's who God created you to be. And let, it not be say we find, let it not be said that we find opportunity to express ourselves every other environment besides church. I want to give you a couple of biblical examples of what this looks like. Do a little bit of scripture digging. So the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6. 
Many of you may be familiar with this. I'm going to read this text to you, verses 14 through 23. This is David, King David. There's been a lot of of, uh, (laughs) events that have happened leading up to this moment, which we won't go into. But let's just read this and get a sense of what's happening here. Verse 14, 2 Samuel 6, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and the cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. Now, listen to this part. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said this, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. His wife said that to him when he got home. And David said to Michal, this is his response, Listen, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor." And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. A few things from that passage. We see that David praises God with all his might. We see that his wife despises him for it. And when she gives her feedback, we see David double down on his expression of praise. Tells her it was before the Lord who chose me. Now just, you know, when you read that, ask yourself, are you more like David or are you more like Michal? Who was the the distraction or the embarrassment in this particular passage? Who was the one who pleased God? Got one more account in the New Testament, the book of Luke, chapter 7. Another somewhat familiar passage. Luke 7, 36 through 50. And I'll start it. One of the Pharisees asked, to, asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. 
And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that, she, that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering, Jesus answering the person who said something to himself, Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And again, he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. A few things from this passage. Woman of the city implies her stature in society. Yet this woman of the city performs this praise. The Pharisee despised her and her act. When Jesus perceives her faith and her sincere worship in proportion to the grace that he has extended to her. If an unfamiliar person came in today, expressed themselves in praise in a very unorthodox way that's not necessarily fit for the culture and context here, how would you respond? Both of these accounts, 2 Samuel and Luke, the word praise is not located anywhere within those texts. We find the characteristics of praise in both of them. There's a few reflections I'd like to leave with you in light of praise articulated through Scripture. Number one, never judge for yourselves another person's expression of praise. You have no idea what people have been through. You have no idea the real connection they have to God in that moment 
what they have seen him do, what he has revealed to him, what they are discovering in him as they express themselves. It's never for us to sit back and judge and make our determination of the value of what's being offered in that moment. I could literally sit here and testify to you for about 10 minutes about what God has done in my life. Enough to send me into an undignified praise that you guys would never even be prepared for. I would do some things that I don't even know if you'd be able to look me in the eye. But it's not because of y'all. It's not because of me. It's because of him. And what I have seen him do in my life, the fact that the word of God has become alive in very real circumstances. And that's between me and him. So I, I encourage you, don't come to the church when the doors are closed and the lights are off because you might find a wild man in here. <laughs> Depending on the day. Because I'm going to get it out. God has been good to me, and I'm not trying to make people uncomfortable, but I am reflecting on his goodness. Number one, never judge another person's praise. Number two, praise does not abandon the cognitive. We used to say this phrase back in my old church. It was traditional to say this as a moment of exhortation. When I think of the goodness of Jesus... And all that he has done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah, thank God for blessing me. When I think, there's an exercise. You're actually coming to grips with reality. You're thinking through what you've learned about him in his word, and you're actually reflecting on your experiences. When you think of his goodness, then your soul cries out. We're all one being. This is not manipulation. This is not all sensationalism. Viewing this awesome God and we're refusing to withhold our emotion at what he has done. Number two, praise does not abandon the cognitive. Number three, the fruit of our lips, what the text says here, the fruit of our lips is often accompanied by something else. Now, don't get hung up on this specific phrase and say it's only the fruit of our lips. I invite you to exercise a hermeneutic that investigates all that God's word says about praise. The sacrifice of praise is in light of his sacrifice. The fruit of our lips may be accompanied by a raising of our hands. It may be accompanied by a dance. It may be accompanied by a shout of praise. It may be accompanied by a sway. All that God's word says about praise gives us reason to investigate what accompanies the fruit of our lips. His sacrifice is why we do it. This is why we praise him. This is a sacrifice acceptable to him. We don't offer animals anymore. We offer praises to him continually for what he has done. 
The other sacrifice that's pleasing to him is generosity. Praising God should flow into the good we do in this world. This posture of sharing to do good reminds, should remind us of who owns all of this, who owns it all. I've been actively teaching my kids this. There's this concept of sharing with your sister. You don't even own that. You, you didn't walk into Target and purchase this for an inflated price. I did that, so it's mine. <laughs> but you share what I gave you. A lot of times we claim rights to things that don't belong to us. Like our, our perspective of this world gets a little bit too selfish and mine and I get to control. But this world doesn't belong to us. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, all of it. Is his. Has anybody ever come to church and they've got their seat assigned in their mind? I'm a creature of habit. I do it. You know, there's a little something going on in my heart when I see somebody's Bible there. It's the Lord's. Very simple act of sharing to welcome someone in and say, we're happy to be, we're happy that you're here. The measurement of doing good. Now, sharing as doing good has a lot of implications. The Greek word or the Greek translation to this phrase of doing good is it implies fellowship, community, and partnership with one another. There's a few things that we can think of of what this is actually saying. So when it says, do not neglect to do good and share what you have, let's let's think through this a little bit. In view of sacrifices, if this is to be viewed as a sacrifice, then we understand that it must cost you something. When you you don't have it in your mind, like it it may be in your heart, when you don't have it, you're, you're giving something. You feel the transaction because it's costly. Sometimes, I I mean, I I can suggest this, and whether or not we do this individually is up to you, but a helpful exercise could be taking asset inventory, thinking of what you have, all the things that you have, all the blessings that you possess. Because oftentimes we're thinking of what we don't have. We don't have time for this. We don't have money for this. We don't have emotional capacity for this. But what do you have taking inventory of all the things that God has blessed you with and acknowledging that it came from him? The elders are are currently praying through playing. I'm sorry, we're not playing. (laughs) We are praying through ways that we can bless the community with this building. This building is a huge blessing. And it's not something that we use all the time. So we're praying through different ways that we can use what God has given us to bless others, to invite others in. It's good to think about how we do good with what we have. 
understand that we are blessed to bless others. There's many here who have bought houses specifically with the purposes of hosting, having people over, hosting life groups, owning a possession in light of who owns it all. Some of what we are blessed with could be good to do in light of poverty and disenfranchisement. Not just benevolence where we're putting band-aids on third-degree burns, but we're literally thinking through formative ways that we can address need with the resources and the abundance that we possess. We step forward into justice efforts, and we don't just placate it from far away, but we sacrifice by doing good with what we are blessed with. Some of you here, I say you need to pray about moving into poor communities. Maybe not everybody, but I would say that that's a very, very helpful application of doing good with what you have. I can speak from personal experience that Liz and I live in a community that wonders why we would ever want to be there with them. Why would you want to be my neighbor? Something to pray about. The church doing good, giving, sharing. This is a place where we should have all things common. We should think about how that translates to giving in the local church to think about giving purposefully, not just the basket that passes, but purposefully. We're practicing this generosity as we think about this care we have for one another in this expression of community. Again, this is a generosity prayerfully that's springing from praise, the sacrifice of Christ. As we reflect on the sacrifice of Christ, it produces this generosity. The fact that he gave bountifully. And we should be practicing generosity as a fruit of the Spirit. So overall, this, this, this sense of all that Christ has done, we're in a position now to where we don't, again, offer animal sacrifices. We're not leading lambs to the slaughter, literally. The lamb has been sacrificed so that we are all set free. And we offer these acceptable and pleasing sacrifices of praise and generosity in light of the gospel. These sacrifices could be parenthetically summed up as loving God, loving your neighbor. Through him, only through him, are we able to offer these sacrifices. And these sacrifices are a response to how awesome this rock our God is. And reflect back to David. He's praising God for what he had done. The ark was being triumphantly carried back into Israel. He's praising God with all of his might because of his faithfulness. Remember the woman of the city, and she worships according to the forgiveness she has received. We have been forgiven much. We don't get to play the other side of the debtor coin to say, oh, he forgave me for a little bit. We have been forgiven much. What is the proportion of our response? 
Remember all that we have been reminded about Jesus in the book of Hebrews. Remember all that he has done. We could even exercise that by literally thinking about and listing all that he has done. It could be uncovered in Scripture, all that he has done. And you look at all of this, and it should cultivate within you a thankful spirit for everything that he has done for us. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3 reads, the, the, spirit of the, Lord, or the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and, to, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance from our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Invite you guys this morning to put on the garment of praise. Release the heaviness, the faint spirit. Take on the oil of gladness and bless his name. Exchange beauty for ashes. This is a response to the gospel. Read this. It may be familiar to you. This is Jesus' first sermon. But don't get it confused. Isaiah is quoting Jesus. Jesus isn't quoting Isaiah. Oh, that men would praise him. The echo and the refrain of Psalm 107 should ring in our hearts. Oh, that men and women, all creation would praise him. Now we have a worship night that's coming up next week. We did not plan it according to this text. But it is a helpful reflection to think about what we're going to be doing in our time together. We're going to be singing of the beauty of our Savior. All of these things, we could just read Isaiah 61. We could reflect on so many things that have happened throughout Scripture. We could think about our own lives and have reasons to praise our God together. If ever there was a night to where we could dress for the occasion that night we should come with the garment of praise. We share in that together because the sacrifice was for all of us. If you're not ready to go zero to 1,000 in terms of praising expressively, just think about it. Don't think about praise, the concept, and the things that make you uncomfortable. Think about Jesus. Think about who he is and who he created us to be and all that he has done throughout history to provide this place where sacrifice should not feel like sacrifice. 
It is literally implanted into the fiber of our being to see our great God and respond to him with lifted hands, lifted voices, dancing, shouting, sounds that maybe you may be embarrassed to do. But because he's worthy, he literally ignites your being as you think on his goodness. Listing all the things that God has done shouldn't be worried about embarrassment or distractions, reflecting on all these blessings. All these blessings, if you are a Christ follower and you have the Spirit of God and you reflect on all of these blessings, I guarantee you a thank you, Jesus, will start to bubble up. If that is the least you can offer him, That is what Scripture is teaching us this morning. That's what praise is, because he's worthy. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper, and we literally are commanded to remember what he has done. His body was broken, his blood was poured out. And we reflect on his goodness in this moment. thankful spirit rises up in us even as we remember his faithfulness this way. Let's take the Lord's Supper today with a thankful spirit. Let's remember the faithfulness of our great God. Lord, I thank you. I just thank you. I thank you for all that you've done. I pray that you'd help me to remember the things that I've forgotten. I pray that you'd help us all to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you that your word is true, that we can rely on the testimonies of the prophets, the apostles, all those who have gone before us, powerful displays of faith. Only to be left with the reflection that you are worthy all praise, all glory, and all honor. We pray, God, that you'd arrest our hearts even as we're expressing generosity towards one another in this church and beyond. Spirit of God, be with us in all things that we seek to do to glorify the name of Jesus. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.